You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. So excited about this series, Invited, a place for everyone at God's table. And uh, just before I dive into that, I want to extend my welcome to you, particularly if you are new here among us. My name's Martin, uh, along with Esther. Uh, we're the so-called pastors here, but serve here with a, a great team of others and count it a real privilege to be on this assignment in Coventry in the middle of the UK. Uh, also, um, just briefly on the back of the short reflection that uh, Tracy led us in, uh, you know, I, I want to say how deeply thankful I am for a long-reigning monarch who, against a changing tide in our nation, uh, during her lifetime that has removed the Christian message from most of our schools, has devalued the institution of marriage and seen the rise of a liberal agenda and the erosion of Christian morality and ethics in most parts of society, a, a sovereign over our nation who held so firmly to her personal Christian faith and was vocal and at times outspoken about that. And my prayer, and I hope our prayer would be that our new king, King Charles III, and feeling the weight of responsibility in his new role would, like his mother, turn fully to the grace and wisdom that comes only from heaven and look to Jesus alone for his salvation. But as has also been said, uh, thanks be to God that we serve one whose reign will never end, the, the King of Kings, that Queen Elizabeth II went home to the King of Kings and the King of Queens, the one to whom she bows the knee. And uh, what a glorious thing. I found it really interesting seeing some of the commentary on TV on Friday of people saying she was such an anchor, she was the unchanging one in our nation. And I, I just felt, although I thank God for Queen Elizabeth II, I, I have a different anchor. I have a different compass. And I'm, I'm grateful. I don't wish, wish to uh, belittle Queen Elizabeth II or her reign, but... Um, I thank God that my anchor is in an unchanging place. And in turbulent times, she was not the one to whom I, I looked, although I'm grateful for her life. And let's continue to look to the one who is utterly unchanging. So, invited. Well, Esther's already outlined this series is about the gospel and the amazing truth that everyone is invited to God's table and that if we truly grasp that we have been invited to God's table, that truth will rock our world and will change us because we realize that actually we are now seated at his table with others and with others who are different to us. And this is the implication of the Christian message, just as the cross itself has a, has a vertical beam and a horizontal beam. We come to understand, if we embrace the gospel fully, that God has utterly transformed our relationship with himself through the cross, through the sacrifice of Jesus. Thanks be to God. Can anyone say thanks be to God today? That a way has been made that is open to heaven, that we would know him, that he has, as it were, provided and open to us who are utterly unworthy of ourselves, a place at his table. What a thing that in that sense, our, I know heaven is not up there or the Australians have missed it, but that, that our vertical relationship with God is transformed by the cross. 
But the reality is, if I take my seat at his table, I find that my earthly relationships have changed. I now not only have a heavenly father, I have brothers and sisters in Christ. That, uh, that I am seated among those from every tribe, nation, and tongue, the one for whom Jesus shed his blood, that also there are seats at the table that are currently empty, yet to be filled with sons and daughters coming home, uh, whose invitation has been entrusted to me, that actually it changes not only my relationship with God, but my relationship with others, or else it should. And if that reality hasn't yet dawned on you, this is part of what we will unpack in this series, Invited. And so today's message is called The World and My Table. In short, being invited to God's table profoundly affects my table, my heart, my life, my world, my hands, my response to others. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn with me to the book of Acts. As Esther said, uh, we will be rooted in the book of Acts in this five-week series, and we're going to go to chapter 8, beginning at verse 26, where we're going to read the story today and draw some thoughts out from the encounter between Philip the Evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch. This is Acts 8, 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, or Candace, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This traveling uh, man was not only an Ethiopian, uh, uh, an African, but he was also a very high-ranking civil servant, one who was head, we are told, over the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. He was the chancellor over her finances, and uh, he is traveling. This, the Bible says, this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Potentially, he had embraced the Jewish faith. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep or a lamb to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? What a passage of scripture to be being read. You know, if you're praying for an evangelistic opportunity to find someone in Isaiah 53, what a great onboard for Philip to go, oh, well, actually, let me tell you that 700 years ago, when Isaiah was speaking these words, he was speaking about one who has just been among us. Let me tell you about him. The eunuch asked Philip, please tell me, who's the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled, Along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. 
When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. I, I wonder if he arrived wet. And he's come out of the water, and the Lord takes him away. Can you imagine landing at Azotus, like dripping wet? Uh, anyway, I don't know, just my imagination. Maybe he dried out on the way. Um, uh, it says, traveling about, sorry, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. We're going to come back to this story shortly. Let me briefly speak about why this series is so important for us at CLM. Well, firstly, it's, a, it's about truth alignment. We are uh, really centering on a deeply held biblical conviction of what the church is, that what God has done through the cross, that if we understand the Bible correctly, we will understand that we have not just become followers of Christ, that at a distance can look in at the church and see what we think of it, but to understand we have become the church. We cannot be followers of Christ and not realize we are part of the body of Christ. We, we are part of the bride of Christ with others. We cannot be in Christ and be separate from his body. So it transforms not only our relationship with him, but our relationship with others. And there is no escape. We can't be truly in Christ without we have brothers and sisters and without we have a mandate to reach others. So it changes our world, our, our stated purpose as a church here at CLM is to bring the kingdom of God, which really means that the rule and reign of Jesus, his ways, into every life and sphere of society. And we say we, we believe we'll do that through three things. Number one, Christ-centered community. It is our deeply held conviction as elders that God's design for the bringing of king, the kingdom on the earth is through his people, the church, who were designed to be family. Christ-centered community. Brothers and sisters together with Christ at the center. That without that understanding and that behavior, we will not truly be kingdom bringers. We need one another to encourage one another, to hold each other on track, to support one another through the difficult times. And this is not a sign of weakness. It is God's design. He said to Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Because actually, he, we were made in the image and likeness of God who is three persons. He is community, one with himself. And so this is part of our design. It's our conviction, Christ-centered community. Secondly, spiritual growth, that together, however old we are, however long we've been on the road, we can keep becoming more like Christ. And together we can keep growing as we, as we hold in community with our eyes on Jesus. And thirdly, effective mission, the kingdom is brought as we look out to others. And this series invited a place for everyone at God's table, speaks into all three of these things, Christ-centered community, spiritual growth, effective mission. So really we're speaking into some de deeply and dearly held values. It's also important for us because some of the cross-cultural components that we are going to be looking at and considering as we hear from different people and their diversity stories are really relevant to us as a local and diverse community. The database tells us, well, Mark was saying when he first came to CLM, there were over 40 nations. Our database will tell us we have over 60 different nationalities represented here. But as we heard from Dagmar, and we'll hear from others, for so many, the question of nationality and where do you come from is actually a lot more complex than that for many people. But it's evident that we are a 
church of all ages and of different ethnicities and cultural backgrounds. Uh, I am so thrilled about that, and I, I know many of you are too. This is a foretaste of heaven. This is what it's going to be like in heaven. Amen. But CLM in its beginning, 1936, was an all-white church. There's a, a, a photo of a, a, a ceremony around that time, and every face in the photo is a white face. A couple of years ago, we held a funeral service here for dear Ivy Williams, who's now gone to be with the Lord, and, and I was told that she was CLM's very first black member. What, what courage she must have had. What a pioneer. But I'm also told that at that time, the... Uh, there were some churches who were not welcoming of those from the Windrush generation, but here she found a home. Others reached out a hand of fellowship to her, and in time, others, others came and were added. And over the years, our diversity has increased, and today we are a black majority church. Many of our ministries are visibly diverse. Some of our ministries are, are high-majority black. Our second service is is typically high-majority black. One of our ministries, Synergy, uh, is high-majority white. But we are a diverse people. And so some of what we're going to look at is going to speak into our immediate reality. The challenge on all of us is to be welcoming, but especially, can I say to us that if we find ourselves in any setting, be that age or, or ethnically, in a majority, that we would, we would understand there is an onus on us to be sensitive and especially welcoming to those who are in a minority because you can feel more vulnerable as, as many of you will have experienced in different settings in your life when you're not in the majority setting. And so we can find that at work among us. The gospel compels us to go beyond what is easiest and what is most comfortable, which for most of us is to hang out with people like us. Maybe people who look like us or sound like us or have the same humor as us. Maybe we're brought up in the same educational system, have a similar background, similar sense of humor. But the gospel compels us to be bigger than that. It doesn't stop us having friends that are like us, but it invites us to go beyond that and to recognize what Christ has done in inviting us to his table where everyone is invited, to align ourselves to God's vision, a vision for all people from all backgrounds and all ethnicities and nationalities. Our flesh within us can want to gravitate to those who are like us, but the spirit within us aligns ourselves to God's global vision for all people. And I believe our ability to reach out to others is an indication of our maturity. I've been part of God's family in a, in a diverse Pentecostal setting for over 30 years, and I've made so many mistakes so many faux pas, and I've still very much got my L plates on. If I've ever offended you unwittingly, please forgive me. I've, 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 gone, I've gone to people's homes where I've agreed up front that I'm not going to have dinner, not that I'm being rude, but because of my schedule, only to arrive and be served enough food to feed my whole extended family. And I don't know, am I supposed to decline because I said I wouldn't have anything? Am I supposed to eat some? Am I expected to eat it all? I don't know. And I've just learned to smile and pray and ask God in his grace to cover my ignorance. I love coffee. I've drunk the best coffee. I know some of you are coffee snobs and you think you've got the answer to the best coffee. The best coffee I've ever tasted is here in Coventry in the home of an Eritrean family. 
absolutely incredible. I said, I'll just have a little one. It was 9 o'clock at night. It was only a little one. It kept me awake till 6 a.m. <laughs> but I want to tell you, it was awesome. They don't teach you this stuff at Bible school. I came across an online survival guide for international students coming to the UK explaining what British people might say and what you think they mean, but what they actually mean. It included this, British people say, with all due respect, you think they mean, I respect you for that. They actually mean what you said was nonsense. <laughs> British people may say, I might join you later. You think they mean they may come later. They actually mean there's no way I'm coming to that. <laughs> British people say, that's interesting. You think they mean, wow, they must be impressed by what I'm saying. They actually mean, boy, this is boring. Can someone get me out of here? <laughs> I, now, listen, if someone ever said to you, that's interesting, they didn't, they didn't necessarily mean what's on the screen. <laughs> L listen. But we can smile and maybe laugh because there's some truth in some of that. As British people, we hate to offend, so we end up not quite saying the full truth, trying to cloak things a bit nicer than is actually the reality, which for people from other cultures can be very unhelpful. Just say it as it is, unless it's to a British person, because then you're going to offend them. So it's all very complex, isn't it? The truth is, we all have our cultural and personal idiosyncrasies, but now we're seated at a table which is so much bigger and richer than that. And it can require extra effort to reach out beyond what's familiar and easy. And I've got to say, my world is so much richer for being part of God's family and coming to know and to be with and to experience the richness of the world within Christ's family that I've come to be a part of. I have to accept also that being invited to God's table has meant an impact on my table, my heart, my life, my hands, my approach. So back to Acts 8, the amazing story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip the evangelist. The, 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 the context here is that Jesus has gathered those to him, uh, his followers, his disciples in Acts 1.8, just before he ascends to the Father, he says, you will be my witnesses. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. He is warning them and commissioning them that it's about to get cross-cultural. It's going to go to places that they are unfamiliar with, and it may become uncomfortable. What happens is there's an immediate outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the church is born with predominantly Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And this incredible family is born, and we get a flavor of that in one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Acts 2, 42 to 47. You'll have heard it, you'll know it, but let's read it again. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, koinonia, one another. They devoted themselves to one another and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who are being saved. And we see how the Holy Spirit engenders among them this incredible family of being together, of praying together, of, of eating together, of breaking bread together, of opening their homes one with another, of sharing their wealth and resource so that no one was in need. And family, Christ's family is birthed in the earth, but then it isn't long before God shakes things up and scatters the church, not to break the family up, but to take the family beyond Jerusalem and through Judea and into Samaria, that the same culture of family would go to the ends of the earth. And through that initial shaking, Philip finds himself, a Jew finds himself in Samaria. We see partly through the parable of the Good Samaritan and the woman at the well, we see the conflict between Jews and Samaritans. And now the gospel is going into difficult territory, into Samaria. And in the midst of this, uh, the Holy Spirit does something uh, more incredible and, and takes Philip alongside this chariot where he encounters a man going back to Africa. I'd like to draw out Four thoughts really briefly, and then we're going to continue in our worship, and we're going to break bread together here. My thoughts are these from this story. The gospel, number one, demands connection. Number two, destroys barriers. Number three, provokes depth. And number four, produces growth. Firstly, the gospel demands connection. The Spirit leads Philip to the place where he encounters the Ethiopian. He instructs Philip to stay close to the chariot, and Philip hears him reading aloud, and he gets asked, about it, and they, they talk. He gets invited up into the chariot. The, a connection is made. Relationship is two-way. The Holy Spirit was helping Philip to make a connection with someone who was entirely different to him. The gospel demands us to engender family, connecting within the church, pursuing Christ-centered community. And the gospel also demands us to connect with others outside of the church to connect and share Christ with them, which best begins by asking questions like Philip did. There's no biblical mandate to remain isolated. It's meant to take us outside of our comfort zone. Can I say to you politely, if you have a tendency to rush off after the service, please understand church is not the service, church is the people. And actually part of church is connecting with others before or and after the service. It demands connection. Two weeks ago, we, we were in Switzerland for uh, Luke and Noemi's wedding. And we were planning to go just for a couple of days. And we got in touch to say, do you know anyone that we could possibly stay with? And uh, Noemi arranged for us to stay with this beautiful lady called Ursi, who who loves Noemi, that they're friends, and she sees Noemi as a daughter. And this beautiful lady opened up her home to myself and Esther and our daughter, Anna, and just treated us like family. And we went in, and she, she cooked for us. She did me bacon and eggs on both of the mornings, and it was just fantastic. And at the end, we were saying she spoke a, a little English. My German was too rusty to attempt it, and we... Uh, and, and we tried to converse, and we were saying, thank you so much. You've been amazing. And she said, well, you are friends of Noemi. And what she was saying is, I love Noemi. And so because of that, you are welcome here. What we have to understand is if 
we love the Lord Jesus, then we, we will extend our table to those that he loves, which is those around us, which is our brothers and sisters in Christ first, and also it is those that he also loves dearly and wants to come to his table. If we love him, it will impact us. It will demand connection. Secondly, the gospel destroys barriers. Here in the story, the Hebrew evangelist Philip and the Ethiopian royal servant in the chariot, different ethnic, cultural, and almost certainly class backgrounds, this high-ranking royal official and the most likely quite ordinary Philip, they sit together and talk together and pray together. The gospel destroys the barriers that would otherwise have existed. I remember first experiencing this when I came to Christ. I'd grown up in a white British family in a strongly majority white British school, and I got saved at the age of 17, and I found a a, a life-giving, spirit-filled church, which was a Pentecostal church, which was diverse, like CLM is diverse. And when I arrived, it it wasn't the white guys that welcomed me. It was a group of black guys, Horatius, Raphael, Malcolm, and Faz. And they extended the hand of friendship to me, a newbie and a new Christian. And what happened was so beautiful. I'm so grateful for it because as I joined their friendship group, they unwittingly discipled me, a brand new Christian. As, as we prayed together, I heard them pray, and it helped me to know how to pray. As we talked about the things of God, it caused a fire to come alive in my own heart. And I also made me a bigger person as I tasted some different food, and I heard about some of their stories and families and, and churches in, in countries that some of them considered back home. I'm so grateful for it. And that's what the gospel does. It breaks down barriers, and we're praying that in life groups and over food and over coffee at the end of services, that actually through this series, not only what we see on the screens through the videos, but we would share our diversity stories one with another. Sometimes we can see someone and think we, we know what their story is going to be, and so often it's dramatically different to that. It's not what we would have thought it might be. And we come to know, and something beautiful happens. But the gospel destroys barriers. Thirdly, the gospel provokes depth. Do you notice how the Ethiopian asked Philip to come and sit down with him? Something happens when we sit down together. The queen was renowned for having standing meetings, people that she didn't want to get too comfortable or stay too long. Sometimes on a Sunday, and I think this is fine because there's probably a lot of people to see. We might have a lot of kind of standing connections, and it's quite quick, but... But if we sit down together, we might take some time and we might go deeper. They sit down together and Philip is able to lead his new friend to Christ. We're encouraged to go deeper. One of the clear New Testament mandates for believers is to practice hospitality. It tells us in many places to do it. Romans 12, 13 simply says, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Some of us have maybe lost the art of opening our homes and our tables during the isolation of COVID. And if that's true, if you've lost some confidence to, to put that right and align to the mandate of Scripture to practice hospitality, you don't have to be a great cook. You don't have to spend loads of money. But that we would open up our homes. It's part of what the gospel demands with our brothers and sisters in Christ and those outside of the gospel to come and be at our table. And it's so great that all of our life groups, I understand, in this season are back in person. Many have already transitioned to in person. A few, this is a new time. I think this is going to be so important. There's something 
significant. We thank God for the medium of Zoom and what it got us through, but there's something great when we sit together. I think it will be really significant. Also, during the time of this series, the next five weeks, we are encouraging you, inviting you. In fact, can I say, I'm going to challenge you to take up what we're calling the Dine at Mine Challenge, which is to open up, you might not even have a table, but open up whatever you've got, a space for others, and invite them in, particularly if there are people from uh, backgrounds different to yourself, and share what Christ has done. Or maybe to, to invite some neighbors or colleagues into your home for a meal, and just to, just to talk together. And out of that, it would be staggering if something of your faith doesn't come through, and you're able in some way to share Jesus. At least once during the series, the Dine at Mind Challenge. Who's up for it? Come on, we should do this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let me just say, young man, if you've got your eye on a young lady, the Dine at Mind Challenge is not an excuse to make your move. That's that's not what this is, all right? Um, You you can invite her, but can we say with others? And and also, it it is okay to say no um, if there is a reason to do that. Um, But I believe it's going to be a rich time as we meet together, sit together, eat together, share together. And finally, the gospel produces growth. Isn't it wonderful how the Ethiopian sees the water? Um, I have to assume here that Philip has shared something about what has happened at the day of Pentecost and how people got baptized. And maybe he said, what what is baptism? And they talked about it. And then he sees water. He says, I've got to do it. I'm in. I want to do it. Like... And they have this incredible growth moment. This is what happens when we connect, when we move beyond our barriers, when we go deeper and Christ is at work among us, we grow. And I'm so confident as we respond to this series, as we open our hearts and our homes, as we share together and talk together, as we eat together, as we reach out to others with Christ at the center, as we we celebrate that we have been invited to God's table and we bring that incredible news to others. We will grow in maturity in Christ-likeness together as we reach out to others, share the invitation to God's table with them. Friends, the gospel affects the world and my table. It was always intended to. But this is only because God has opened his table to us. I'm going to invite the band to come and join me here. And those preparing the tables that we're going to come to, to to do that right now. Before we finish today here in the room, we're going to break bread, as we've said, and we're going to pray together in little groups. If you're not used to that, don't feel threatened. We'll make it super easy. But we're going to come to his table to take the bread and the cup to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. The Ethiopian happened to be reading Isaiah chapter 53, which includes these words, verses 4 to 6, surely he, speaking of Jesus to come, took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we're healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's opened his table to you, my friend. Thank God there's there's nothing, nothing that we can have done, said, 
thoughts that if we come with humility of heart and accept the message of the cross can preclude us to come into his kingdom. What an incredible reality. What an incredible truth. And here in the room, we're going to continue in our worship before we finish our service. We're going to break bread. If your heart is open to the Lord Jesus Christ today, we're going to invite you to to come to a table. There's two tables at the front. There are two tables at the back. And when you're ready, we invite you to get out of your seat and to come. There's some bread. Do you want to break a bit of bread off and take one of the little cups? If you're more comfortable, then there are little capsules which contain a wafer and some juice that are self-contained. You can use those. As you come, don't feel rushed. You might want to take some bread and with somebody that you've come with or someone that's with you in the, in the line that maybe you don't even know. You might want to just step to the side and pray and give thanks to God. And then once we've all been served, we'll, we'll take a moment to just briefly pray and thank God that we are at his incredible table together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to pray and then when I say amen, feel free to either stand in worship or step out of your seat and come to one of the tables. Lord, we thank you for this unsurpassed message that, Lord Jesus, you laid down your life for us, that you opened heaven's doors to us, that we can enter into your presence, the holy of holies, with confidence by the blood of the Lord Jesus. In that sense, you've prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies come today to remember your sacrifice. We come today to remember what unites us and what breaks down every barrier and what rocks our world and changes us. That we have a Father in heaven and brothers and sisters in Christ because of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. And so we come and receive afresh. We say our desire is to be found in you and we thank you for your grace. Your precious and holy name. Amen.